Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And good evening, church family. Wow, with an introduction like that, you sure hate to fumble the football, don't you? Amen. Well, good to, good to see everybody this evening. Good you came in. Good to have visitors tonight as well. And uh, if you are visiting, I want you to be sure to know you're not only a very special guest, but on the way out, be sure to see my wife, Deb, and we want to gift you the video production. Just wave because she's dressed in yellow. She matches me. We don't lose each other in the crowd that way. And, uh, and we have a special gift for you, the video production on the car we travel America with, a 15-chaptered movie storybook. And we want to say thank you for being our guest. And be sure to see Deb and uh, receive that as well. I want to say thank you for your hospitality. Again, I've got to thank Brother George for the car. Amen. And uh, we've enjoyed it. You know the nice thing about that vehicle? If I hit something, you're never going to know it. Amen. You're just never going to know it, brother. In fact, it may look a pinch better. It may kick something out somewhere, but I'm an old farm boy. I grew up driving stuff like that. That's good stuff. And uh, I appreciate it. Appreciate the use of the vehicle. Thank you for the wonderful meal tonight we had with your pastor, his wife, and their three little ones. That would be, of course, Pastor Scotty, Miss Leah, and then Serena, Zed, Zeb, Zeb. It starts with a Z. All right, and then little Krista, Krista Rose. And we had a wonderful time and appreciate the hospitality. All right, well, take your Bibles tonight. I want to go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Again, I, I want to say thank you to your pastor for having me in. I don't know, he talks me up, but really, I'm just an old country boy. I've never even been to Bible college. I, I just trained through the ministry through our local church. And uh, never planned to go into the ministry. I just never did. I had other plans. I was mustanging up to the Naval Academy and was planning to be an officer and eventually a pilot. But when the Lord saved me, he began to redirect my life. And along the way, I found that I had an ability to teach. And he gave me uh, responsibilities. And so here I am, just a little old country boy from Minnesota by way of Calvary, a sinner saved by grace. I want to give you the Word of God tonight. It's been a help to my heart. I hope it will be a help to yours. Colossians chapter 1. Once you find your place, if you're able to stand comfortably, stand with me. Colossians chapter 1. And I want to begin reading in verse number 9. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 9. The Spirit of God, through Paul, addressing the church at Colossae, says this. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And a desire that she might be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, he's speaking of the will of God here. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse number 10, Colossians 1. That she might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I draw your attention to verse number 9, where Paul desires for these people to be filled with a very precious commodity. And notice again what that commodity is. He says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. Speaking of the will of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I'd like to go ahead and begin a series of thoughts tonight drawn from that single verse as a springboard. But it's simply entitled, Finding and Knowing God's Will for Your Life. Finding and Knowing God's Will for Your Life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You, Lord, this evening for the privilege we have to call You our Father. Thank You for the blood of Calvary. Thank You for the sinless life that Your Son lived and the sinless perfect death and sacrifice that he provided for our sins. Thank you, Lord, that in him we are complete. In him we are forgiven. And our faith has found a resting place, no more to wander, but rest now in the finished work of Calvary. Lord, we ask in your son's name you would bless our time together. Father, as we've already petitioned you to speak to our hearts, we ask you once again, take your word, apply it to our hearts, Father. Help us to hear from heaven. And Lord, I pray tonight that we would not simply hear, but Lord, you would give us the desire to see your will accomplished in our lives. Help us to be doers of thy word and will. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul says, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And a desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I notice here that, by way of introduction, Paul, in writing to the church at Colossae, desired them to be filled with a precious commodity, does not sell out cheaply. Notice his, his desire for them is not, necess- is, is not that they're filled with personal happiness. And oftentimes, that's the prayers of most Americans today. His desire isn't for them to be filled with material blessings, financial prosperity, even physical health. But he goes to a higher realm in desiring them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will for their lives. I want to say tonight, that's the need of the hour. First of all, that's the need of the hour in our homes. You know, mom and dad, your greatest desire for your children should not necessarily be that they had it easier or better than you did. I want to remind you, the struggle of life builds character. And many times, well-meaning parents, trying to go ahead and lighten the load as much as possible, inadvertently raise a generation of spoiled brats that think everybody owes them everything, including God. I'm not saying be cruel, but I'm saying be wise. Your greatest desire shouldn't necessarily be that they had it easier and better than you, that they're, that they're filled with financial prosperity, that they get a good job, that they have emotional well-being, a happy marriage. You know, you ought to go to a higher realm, mom and dad, and pray your children and your grandchildren are filled with the knowledge of God's will for their lives. Amen. It's the need of the hour in our churches tonight. 
Across America, every pastor in the pulpit, every one of you that teaches a Sunday school class, every one of you that has somebody under your tutelage, at the end of your lesson with the Word of God, your desire shouldn't be that, oh, they're awed with your ability, they're just taken with your prowess. And nah, you, you ought to desire at the end of the whole thing that they're filled with the knowledge of God's will for their lives. And clearly, that's the need of the hour in America tonight. You look around at America. She is filled with everything except the knowledge of God's will for her life. Amen? This is not a trite subject. It's not a shallow one. It's an important one. George Truitt, speaking of the importance of the will of God, he said it this way. He said, to know the will of God is mankind's greatest knowledge. To find the will of God is mankind's greatest discovery. But to do the will of God, that is mankind's greatest achievement. Even you are my Savior in the book of John chapter 4 said, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. And you are my eternal destiny and our salvation hinges on a Savior who came not to do His will but the will of the Father. But there's a question that remains as we come into this topic. Most of you probably know the answer, but the question would clearly be this. Where are we mere mortals? Where are we to find the will of God for our life? Where are we to understand not only who he is, but what he wants for us? I've heard some interesting recommendations for, from people. I've had some people say, you want to figure out who God is? You want to figure out how he thinks? Get out in creation. Get under the canopies of stars and look up at the expanseness of the universe. And there under the canopy of creation, this God, whoever he is, he'll speak to your heart. He'll manifest himself to you. He'll show you what he wants for your life. Now, let me tell you something. You going out in creation are going to figure out somebody pretty big put this mud ball together. Amen. But you are never going to figure out what his heart's desires for you are simply going out to creation. You never find his will in creation. Amen. Some say, well, you ought to go, you ought to, you ought to go ahead and, and to get to the institutions of higher learning and education, man. Get all the philosophies and religious input and all the different ideas. And, and there and the, all of those philosophies and education, you'll figure out God's will. I would tell you, I've been to the universities in America. That's probably the last place you're going to find God's will for your life. And still others say, get in touch with the inner self. There, God will reveal to you what he wants for you. Let me tell you, my Bible says inside of every one of us is a heart that's deceitful. It's desperate. It's wicked. And you don't even know it. You will not find God's will looking inside of you. Amen. Amen? So the question remains, where are we going to find the will of God and what he wants for us? Well, simply put, you'll find God's will in God's word. Amen. Amen? You will find the will of God in the Word of God. I've had people minimize that. They say, well, that's just too easy. Uh, there's a story. The late Harry Ironsides was very, very fond of sharing. It was a story of a young curate in the Church of England who was greatly helped in his understanding of the Scriptures by frequent conversations he had with an uneducated cobbler who was nevertheless very well acquainted with the Word of God. On one occasion, when a friend of his, a young theologian, was visiting him, the, he mentioned this remarkable knowledge of the Bible which the humble cobbler possessed. Well, the young theologian, in a spirit of pride, 
expressed a desire to meet the cobbler, saying he felt sure he could ask some questions which he'd be quite unable to answer. So upon being introduced to the man in his shop, the young theologian put the following question to him. He said, Sir, can you tell me what the Urim and the Thummim were? Well, the old man replied, Son, I don't know exactly. I understand that they mean lights and perfection and that they were something on the breastplate of the high priest and that through the Urim and Thummim, the high priest was able to discern the mind of the Lord. He said, but young man, I can find I just changed two letters and get the mind of the Lord by just changing those two letters. He said, I take this blessed book and by using and thumbing, I get the mind of the Lord that way. You want to figure out who God is? You're going to wrap your mortal, finite mind around that which is infinite? And somehow figure out not only who He is, but how He thinks and what He wants for you? You know the book that spans eternity and time is a book called the Bible. The greatest love letter ever written. It'll show you not only who your Creator is, but how He thinks and what He wants for your life. Amen? And so let's turn our attention to the Bible. There are places in the Bible where God just opens his heart and says, here's something I want for you and here's something I don't want for you. Let's look at one desire God has tonight. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. And notice God's first great desire for his creation in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse number 9. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. Notice this, 2 Peter 3, 9, But is long-suffering to us word, look at these next words, not willing. Look up for just a moment. You can say it this way, not wanting. You can say it a third way, not desiring. What is it God doesn't want, God doesn't desire? Here it is, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look at me in First Timothy. Just scroll back a few pages in your Bible a little bit earlier. And notice with me in First Timothy in chapter 2. In First Timothy chapter 2, you and I are commanded to pray for authority. We're commanded to pay, pray for those who have the rule over us. And notice what's said in First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now watch verse 4. Who will have. Say it this way. Who wants to have. Say it the third way. Who desires to have. What is it God wants? Here it is. That all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. In your Bible, it's very clear. Verses like these and many others show us God's first great desire. It's this. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have everlasting life. He wants you to be saved. That is God's first great desire, is salvation. Could I make it very clear tonight? God's first great desire for you tonight is not happiness. I make that very clear in this self-absorbed American day today. I want to make it very clear. God's first great desire for you tonight is not financial prosperity. God's first and greatest desire for you tonight is not even emotional well-being. God's first and greatest desire for you tonight is salvation from your sins. 
Did you hear the herald in Matthew 1? Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. You're my greatest need. As far as God was concerned, wasn't physical. It wasn't emotional. It wasn't financial. It wasn't marital. You're my greatest need was spiritual and our greatest problem was sin. Amen? Now be careful. Jesus is being reconstituted in the pulpits of America today. He's no longer a savior from sin. He's a life improver. You just trust him. You know, he'll help you and he'll make you happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now don't get me wrong. The sin life is expensive. And when you and I get saved out of a sin life, you talk to any drunk, he'll tell you, I got more money and I know what to do with now because my God used to take it all from me. The bottle God. Amen? Y'all with me? So, but keep in mind, at the end of this thing, and this sounds very direct, but Jesus didn't die for your messed up marriage. Jesus didn't die for your emotional hang-ups. Jesus didn't die for your financial destitution. Jesus died for your dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sin. That's why he came. He didn't just save you to God. He saved you from God. Because you and I deserve to be obliterated for our filthy wickedness. And he paid the debt we could never pay. He became the shield, the wrath that we deserved. He took my place. And the wrath of God was poured out on him. Amen? Oh my, God's first great desire for you and me tonight, for every man and woman, every boy and every girl, Inside this auditorium and outside across this entire globe is salvation. He wants to save them from their sin. He doesn't want them to perish. He wants them to have everlasting life. As I travel across America, I get into these conversations. And invariably and inevitably, someone will say, but I thought God sent Jesus to bless me. He did. Go to Acts 3. And look at how the, biblically the Bible shows us the heart of our God in Acts chapter 3. Look at what's said here. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 26. We write after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. In Acts chapter 3, look at what's said in verse number 26. The Bible says, Unto you first God, having raised up His Son Jesus, Acts three twenty-six. Look at this, sent Him to bless you. Look at that. God sent Jesus Christ to bless you and bless me. But notice how in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. God wants to save us from our sin. Not our circumstances. You see, when you reconstitute who Jesus is, you really don't have the Savior. Amen? If you're just going to say, just save me from my circumstances, that's all I want him for. Then you're nothing but the thief on the cross who asked to be saved from his circumstances. But the other one, though for a minute had joined him, asked to be saved from his sin. Both men asked to be saved. One just from circumstances, the other from sin. Amen? And you and I need to be wise 
And I know there's different motivations and marriages blow up and people say, man, I, that's when they go to start getting help. And the wise pastor recognizes the bigger need isn't putting the marriage together. It's reconciling the sinner to, a, to, to the Lord. Amen. As that gets right, all that other stuff starts falling in line. Amen. You get the spiritual part taken care of. There's a lot of other things that fall into line. But whether they do or don't, for us that are saved, the best is yet to come. Amen. We need to recognize why it was that Jesus came. He came to save you from your, from your sin. Amen? And there's an urgency in this, I remember. And just go to Acts chapter 4 and look, look at verse number 12. Just go across the, the column there in Acts 4, 12. Look at the urgency here. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Look out for just a moment. What a powerful verse. One of my first memory verses. There we see that Jesus Christ is it. There's no other name under heaven you can be saved by. Do you know that Buddha cannot save you from your sin? Muhammad cannot save you from your sin. Make it very clear. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. I'm just repeating what he said. He's either the biggest liar that ever lived or he's exactly who he said he was. The way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to God but by him. He's the one that preached exclusivity. Speaking of himself. But notice the urgency in that. It says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ. Given among men. Whereby we must be saved. It's, you just see this. You've got to get saved. You've got to get born again. You just see this urgency of the heart of God. You've got to get saved. You've got to get saved. Years ago, one of the things our family would do when we had our tent ministry, we had a tent ministry that seat up to 300. And my kids were the singing group. And, and so they would come in and provide the special music. And dad would preach. But one of the places we loved to go was an Indian reservation in Yakima, Washington. Lower Valley Indian Baptist Church. Just just south of Yakima. And we go on to the res. The pastor was a Native American pastor named Glenn Homan. And Glenn would bring us in and we'd set up the tent. We'd preach a Sunday through Friday meeting, kitty corner from the bar. And when you go to the res, it's tough turf. I'm just telling you how it is. You just, your head is on a swivel. The radar's up. But I'm going to tell you something too. Jesus didn't just die for the white man. He died for the red man. He died for the black man. He's the savior of all men. Amen. And so we go, we go preach. Pastor Glenn, he loved his people, and we'd set up, and I'll never forget this, Pastor Scotty, we'd always set up in July. Now, if you know anything about Yakima, eastern Washington, well, it's 100 degrees by 8 in the morning out there, and we'd be under a tent. You know, you say, what'd you preach on? I just preached on hell. Everybody felt it, man. Everybody felt it. It's the best illustration. We'd just dripping with illustration. But we'd get in there, we'd preach, and we'd have us a good week with Pastor Glenn Holman. See people come to the Lord, get some help. But I remember one time, he was my setup guy. Kimberly, our oldest daughter, was playing the clavinova tied into the sound system. And Pastor Glenn, he was song leading that week. And that night, he picked a song. The old account was settled. You know how that goes. It talks about our sin debt, keeps building up. We don't have anything to pay. Then we find out, Jesus Christ, he, he can pay that debt. And so we say yes to him. His righteousness gets put in our account and all of our sin choo, gets washed away. Debt's paid and put to his account. A transfer of accounts. You know, and the old account gets settled. 
And so we're singing that song, first verse. He's directing it, you know. Gets through the chorus, and the chorus of the old account was settled long ago. And I'm getting ready to sing that next verse. But Brother Glenn, he says, hey, he says, sis, tickle them ivories. Just play that piano. And then he said, hey, somebody shout out the month and year. Your old account got settled and you got saved. Man, hand went up and said, November 58. Praise the Lord, he said. Somebody else. Somebody else's hand went, October 79. Praise the Lord. He says, and hands begin to go up. He says, let's sing another verse. And we sang another verse. And throughout the entire song, after the chorus, before we sing the next verse, what Kimberly played, he gave people a chance to testify and to talk about when their old account got settled and they got saved and, and, and just testifies the month and year. That occurred in their life. What if we did that tonight? We just decided we'd take a page out of Glenn Homan's book. That Native American pastor. And we just played it. And we played it and played it until every single person here had the chance to testify. When your old account got settled and you got sick. Would I see your hand go up? Would I hear your lips testify? If not, why not? You see, in everything you think is important in life, what you think is worthy of your pursuit, you blew past the greatest thing God ever had for you. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have everlasting life. You say, oh, no, no, I got I to gotta settle my debt problem, my, my finance. No, 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 you have a bigger debt God wants to settle than a money debt. But you don't understand, my home is falling apart. Man, I, I got I to I figure out how to get a home. No, he's got a better home than what you could ever get. He wants you there. You with me? You know, I got problems, preacher, I got problems. There's no problem bigger than entering eternity unsaved. And Jesus died for you as much as he did for me. You see, tonight, as I look across the congregation, I don't know you all by name. I'm kind of getting them. But you get old. You know how that is. You meet new people every day. (laughs) You forget. I don't know you all by name. Don't know you're standing with the Lord. Don't know how spiritual you are. But you know, there's one thing I know about every one of you here. God doesn't want you to perish. God wants you to have everlasting life. Therefore, no one's a stranger tonight to me. I hope tonight you're saved. I hope you could tell me about the day. And if not, tonight could be the night. You say yes to him, he'll take your sin. And he'll give in your sin's place all of his righteousness on account for all eternity. Don't be foolish and say no. Amen? What a deal. People say to me, well, now, preacher... If God's great desire is for everybody to be saved, then why do people still go to hell and then onto the lake of fire? Well, simply put, it's because they refuse the payment for their sin. Go to John chapter 1. I want to show you something here before we turn the corner and make a second application. But in John chapter 1, Scripture gives that answer. The Bible tells us why this occurs. In John chapter 1, Notice what's said here in John chapter 1 and verse number 11. The Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 11. The Bible says he came unto his own. The he there is Jesus Christ. 
His own, in context, are the Jewish people. He came to the Jew first. Scripture makes it very clear. We see that. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. They rejected him. They wanted to be freed from Rome. They didn't want to be freed from their sin. They wanted a temporary king, not an eternal one. Sounds like an American today. But notice what it says here in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power, authority to become the sons of God. And how do you receive him? Even to them that believe on. You know what the picture is? Like boarding a ship. Trust completely upon his name. You see, God does love you tonight. Jesus is living proof of that love. And people don't go to hell because of God. They go to hell in spite of God. You know, tonight, if you're not saved, you're going to have to walk across my message to go to hell tonight. Amen? You're going to have to walk across the truth you heard from the Word of God to go there tonight. If you're not saved tonight, you're going to have to walk across the prayers of people, maybe relatives and friends who have been praying for you to come to the Lord. You're going to have to walk across an empty tomb that we preached about last week, Resurrection Sunday, that is the emblem of authenticity. That's the sacrifice that's satisfied. Wow, victory over death means victory over sin. You're going to have to walk over all kinds of stuff to go to hell. But I have found this. If that's what your heart wants, and you want to spit on what God did for you, you will leave him no choice when you meet him without the Savior. The full blast of his fury and his hatred for sin will be felt because you chose to go it alone and refused what he offered. Amen? People don't go to hell because of God. They go to hell in spite of God. I hope tonight, I hope tonight you're saved. I've just really nestled that in. I, I, I just feel like I just need to make sure people belong to the Lord tonight. Amen? But here's the thing. We need to turn the corner. In Romans chapter 10, I want you to see something here. Go to Romans 10. In Romans chapter 10, I suppose my question tonight would be this. Christian, those of you that are saved, do you desire what God desires tonight? In Romans chapter 10, notice Paul's heart following salvation. And listen to what he says here. Romans 10 and verse number 1. Paul says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is this. What? That they might be, say the word, saved. Wow. After Paul gets saved, suddenly God's desire becomes his desire. He wants to see people saved. Amen? And he begins to line up. And I wonder tonight, is, is God's desire for salvation for others also your desire tonight? Years ago when I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed at Whidbey Island north of Seattle. And it was a training squadron of EA-6B prowlers. Four seat jammers. And I was radar radio man on those. And 
as well as an airborne troubleshooter. Well, because it was a training squadron, twice a year we go down off the coast of California and we would CQ those rookie pilots, those new pilots coming out of Pensacola. CQ means carrier qual. They had to learn how to take off and land off a flat top. Ten day traps, five night traps, and they were qualified for fleet squadrons across the world. I remember as I would board that, the USS Constellation and, uh, and also the USS Coral Sea. Man, it was a floating city. It was huge. And I always loved going on board there for a couple of reasons. First of all, as a single guy, the chow hall was open 24-7. And that's a big deal, you know. I was bottomless back then. And I never gained weight. Just could eat 24-7. Never gained an ounce. But the second thing I remember is it was 3,500 troops there, sailors and Marines. Almost all of them lost. And I was one of the few guys that was saved when I go on board. So in spiritual terms, it was a target-rich environment. Almost everybody needed the gospel, and they couldn't get away from you. Man, overboard was not a cool thing to do, all right? And so I loved it, man. And I'd always sign up for night ops, because night ops, we start at 8, and they'd always be done by 0100. By 1 in the morning, they were done. They'd bingo to the beach, let the maintenance crew, and we just, it was a short work deal. And man, the rest of the time was mine. But I remember one of the things I loved to do after night ops was shut down. Man, I'd already slept some that day and ate, whatever, so I didn't feel like going to sleep. I loved to go down in the hangar deck of that huge beast. And right there where the, the bow of the ship began to fill out to the full girth, I used to step off a little sponson out of a little dog-eared hatch, and I'd step onto a sponson about 20, 30 feet above waterline. And I loved to get on that sponson, close that dog-eared hatch, and just watch that steel bow of that vessel slice the Pacific Ocean and watch a moon come up and just feel really small. Man, it just like, oh, you felt so small. And then you'd think, wow, God is big. I mean, he holds this whole inky ocean, the palm of his hand, you know. Those stars way out there, man, he just spans it. I mean, you just, as a young Christian, it would be where I would just spend an hour or two just praying, just talking with my new father in heaven, you know. And I just, wow. But I never forget this thought I had. What if a rogue wave came along? You know, or the vessel lurched, and all of a sudden, blink, I went overboard. You know, what would I experience? You know, my mind began to play that a little bit. Of course, my mind would play it. I'd hold a little more on the chains there, you know, but my mind would play that. What would happen? Well, the first thing I knew I'd feel and experience, it would be the icy waters would shock me, 58 degrees off the coast of California. Just, it would just shock me, you know. And then I would be pressed inexorably against the hull of that tens of thousands of tons of displacement as that beast went past. I would be pinned against her side. I would spin along or roll along her and then get to the aft, those house-sized propellers. They would thrust me underwater. If I survived all that, if I survived all that, I'd come bobbing up behind that vessel. You know, in the moonlight, watch her huge form get smaller and smaller until that silhouette would just disappear on the horizon. And bobbing out there in the ocean, I would know one thing you could never talk me out of. Wouldn't matter if I was healthy. Wouldn't matter if I was a good swimmer. Wouldn't matter if I was young. Wouldn't matter if I was just 
in great shape. It would just be a couple hours in those icy waters which slowly lock me down and they kill me. You know, my only hope would be somebody knew where I was. My only hope would be somebody heard my cry and sounded the alarm. Man overboard. You know, man overboard. Threw the lifeline. Launched the choppers. Turned the fleet around and came back. You know, that'd be my only hope. Because I couldn't save myself. No matter how much I tried. And if that really happened, and it still does, it does happen on our naval and marine forces around the world. And I was pulled from what I knew was a certain death. I'll guarantee you the next time I heard the cry, man overboard, I'd be the first one at the rail. I'd be the first one to throw a line. I'd be the first one running around saying, come on, launch the chappers. You know, I mean, because I, I would know exactly the peril that soul was in. Why, you know where we're going with this. Wasn't there a time we were floating in our sea of sin? We were going down. We didn't have the righteousness to save ourselves. We didn't have the payment for sin. We had no ability to risk our, lift ourselves from our sin. And then someone cared enough to risk our wrath and threw us a lifeline. They offered us the Savior, expecting us to get mad and spat back at Him. But they offered Him. They offered Him. And as we considered our plight and became aware of it, we realized that was who we needed. And we grabbed Him. He secured us. We were pulled out of death and hell and the lake of fire. And we were brought onto a ship that's heading to heaven now. Amen. We're in a family whose destiny is a home called heaven. And now every day, you and I, your life, my life, this local church, every Christian, wherever they are, scattered around the globe, we bump into the flotsam and jetsam of humanity every single day. And the least we can do is throw a line. Amen? I mean, the least we can do is offer. You say, well, they're not interested. That's not your concern. That's not what we're called to do is get them interested. We're just called to warn them. We don't even win them. The Holy Spirit of God wins them. That's His work. And shame on us if we don't offer Him. And there's lots of ways to offer Him. Gary Prisk, who was my mentor, your pastor and I were speaking a little about him. Brother Gary Prisk, in his lost days, ran with the Black Panthers in San Francisco Bay. He's a... 60s generation kid burned down government buildings the first time he heard the gospel he got saved he became one of the most gentle servant leaders i've ever met paul chapel west coast baptist college said gary prisk was the living embodiment of everything i preach and teach about servant leaders he was my mentor he was my pastor he was good for me i was wound tight as a young saved marine you know what i'm saying brother prisk was a great tail on my kite he really slowed me down and put me where I needed to be. God used him. But he shared the story. Here he is in Los Angeles, his first year, Pacific Coast Bible Baptist College, before reconstituted into Heartland. And he said, I'm in Los Angeles, you know, big city of Los Angeles. And Saturday afternoon, I've just checked in a few weeks earlier. I'm in Bible college. Miss Cheryl's with me. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at my door. He thought, who in the world? 
knows where I live. He's in an apartment. And he opens the door, and there's an African-American pastor. He's got his Bible open to John 3, 16. He says, excuse me, sir, could you read that verse to me out loud? And he held his finger up to John 3, 16. He turned it to Brother Prissy. Well, sure, he said. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Brother Priest said, as soon as I read that verse, he said, you believe that? He said, I do. He said, I just got saved last year. I'm in Bible college right now. Praise the Lord. Brother, you tell them what Jesus did for you. You pray for me because I'm trying to tell people what he can do for them. And Brother Priest said, I watched. He went to the apartment door next door, knocked on the door. The lady answered the door. He said, excuse me, ma'am, could you read that verse for me? And from door to door, house to house, he just held John 3, 16 up, had to read it out loud and ask him if they believe that. You say, what's that feller doing? He's throwing a rope. He's offering the Savior. That's his way. Amen? That was his unique way to get the gospel out and be concerned about the rescue recovery operation that he felt he was called to. People ask me, what's up with your Corvette? You must love Corvettes. I was telling somebody, I'm not even a car guy. I'm a pilot. Corvettes don't do anything for me. I'm sorry. I mean, if that's like saying Green Bay, you know, football is no good. I don't know what that does. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, if that gets you, it doesn't. I'm, you couldn't get me to NASCAR. All they can do is left-hand turns. It's, I can't. Yeah. Cars was not my thing. Aviation was. You know what this thing is? It's just a tool. That's all it is. It slows people down to give me a chance to talk to them in this fast-paced day-to-day. It's a burning bush that people go, what's that? And then they come over and they get to hear from God. Amen. You guys are taking deliveries out to many homes. And those deliveries have truth. I was sitting on the phone with somebody just before I came in. Said, man, relatives are watching the DVD and it is affecting their hearts. Brother Dave, thank you, thank you. I just got the phone for my meeting in, in Dayton, Ohio two weeks ago. I like to give out the tracks. I like to take the church track. We created a new trifold one. Put the church track into my track here. and Talk to people. I watch for military ball caps when I'm in the Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts and Paneras. Because if they're talking, if they're wearing their cap, they want to talk about their service. And I've never had a guy say no to my offer and the DVD. And I get emails of people who get saved watching that stuff. Last week, I was in, in, in Brother Kiefer's work in Missouri. I had an old veteran who's not saved. He, the church just bought a new building. It's next door to this guy I've been witnessing to on and off for the last eight years. Combat veteran from Vietnam. Three tours. He was a sergeant in charge of the boys. Lost a lot. I spent two hours, hour and a half with him. Just I've got a way to show the gospel on a piece of paper and leave it with him. And just prayed with him. He just texted me today. He said, man, I think I got this settled. We got a lot of ways. You know, I've had people say to me, "Well, I don't like your way." Fair enough. What's your way? Well, you know, preacher, I well, I, I, um, I well, I, I really don't have a way. Well, then I like my way better than your way. Because my way at least offers them the way. You with me? You want to get practical? Because here's where Brother Dave lives. I make your preacher look really sweet right now if I want to. 
But we're all wired differently. I ran a sales crew in Alaska. You know what? The guys that loved the telephone hated the door. You tell me the truth. You tell me I'm not lying. That's the truth. And the guys that loved the door, I couldn't get them in the phone room. You with me? Everybody's wired differently. You say, well, I, I, I don't like confrontation. Fine. Go get some envelopes and stamps and get some tracks and write a handwritten note every day to somebody you can meet. You get the mailing addresses, man, they're all over the place. And send a track and say, I don't even know you, but God knows you and he sent his best for you. And I hope you read this and I hope you get saved. And I just want you to know God loves you. Jesus does too. Burn a stamp. I know a church down in Florida, Pastor Hankins. Man, when we got to that church, if you were 50, you were in the nursery. I'm not telling you, it's a rest home church, man. 50 was the nursery. And we get there in Sebring, Florida, and my kids are singing, I'm preaching. And I look at Brother Hankins and say, Brother Hankins, I have never quite seen a church like this. He said, I know, brother. He says that young families come. They last about two weeks, he said. And then they look around like, ah. He said, I just send them next to about five miles down. Help that young kid build half his church. And he says, he says you know what they do? They telemarket. They can't get out, so they use the phone book. And all year long, they work their way A through Z. And they telemarket, call people up and ask them if they died right now. I'm 100% sure they go to heaven and be with the Lord. People say, oh, oh, somebody could hang up on me. Somebody could get mad. Would that make a war story in heaven? You imagine sitting in heaven telling people, here's what I went through to get the truth to lost and dying souls. Paul, what'd you go through? Shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, perils in the deep, perils. Gone. And how about you? Someone hung up on me. Now, listen, we laugh, but it's so stupid. I'm, that's a word. Somebody said, don't say stupid. That's a bad word. Okay. I had a little kid write me a note one time. From, mama says that's a bad word. I said, your mama's right. Preacher's stupid. <laughs> but I mean, ha. Huh. I know a lot of snipers, I've, and they come home with baggage. I work with these kids. It is unbelievable. What a sniper will go through to take a life. What he'll endure for days for that one shot to take a life. But it is even more amazing how little a Christian will tolerate to give life. It's sad. It's sad. And people do. And, and listen, guys, I'm... I'm no different than you are. I'm not as spiritual as you think I am. You just don't know everything about me, okay? It's still a struggle for me. Because I hate rejection just like anybody else. But I learned a long time ago, I'm not called to win them. I'm just called to warn them. And a guy will cuss me out on a Friday. Something bad happens over the weekend. And he'll thank me on a Monday for coming by and asking how he's doing spiritually. Leave an open door. Throw out those lifelines. Don't burn bridges. The tougher they get, sometimes that's hiding the greatest need. And those are the people I've found. They're glad I cared. Spurgeon said it this way. This will perk you. And then I'm going to share one last illustration. I'm just done. He said, every Christian is either a missionary. Now, Spurgeon wrote a book called The Soul Winner. Amen. He said, well, he's a Calvinist. You kidding me? Most independent Baptists, 
They'll say they're Arminian, but they live Calvinistic lives. Just waiting for the elect to come by. They'll never reach out to anybody. Amen? Y'all with me? That got pretty quiet. Is that too deep of a theological thing I just did there? I don't know, brother. But here's what Spurgeon said. A Calvinist who wrote a book called The Soul Winner said this. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. If you really got rescued from your sin and you got snatched from the hell in the lake of fire, you can't help it. You want to make a difference for those because you see who they really are. You with me? And don't try to figure out who will grab him. You'll never figure it out. Just find a way to offer him. I remember I got saved January, February 1980. I never did write the day down. It was a Monday night Bible study. I'm a Minnesota farm boy. Grew up in a religious home. First one to tell dad I'm out of here. I'm sick of you tell me how to live and what to do. So I joined the Marine Corps. It's intelligent. Following recruit training, I went to Memphis for my A school, began to hear the gospel. And on Monday night Bible study, after reading my Bible and studying and attending studies for two months, the Spirit of God hung me over hell and showed me where I was heading and offered me His Son as my escape. I got saved that night. I'll never forget. The very first thing I thought of was my parents, my twin brother Doug, my kid brother Ron, my sister Kathy. And so the next morning, I call home. Mom answers the phone, all-American mom. Leave it to Beaver mom. She's just a classy lady. She answers the phone, and she said, Dave, how's it going? I said, great, mom. I said, guess what? She said, what? I said, I got saved. And on the other end of the line, I heard this all-American mother begin to stammer. That's good, Dave. That, that's good. We're happy for you. We're happy for you. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to say. I found out following conversation, dad was listening in after she hung up. Dad said, was that Dave? Yep, that's Dave. He said, what's up with Dave? And mom said, he, I think he got religion. To which my sage old German father said, well, just be glad the kid's not on drugs. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Yeah. We can handle that. Religion, drugs, that'd be even tougher. And we can handle that. That's how dad, that's logical engineer dad. <laughs> Five months later, I came home on leave. As I stepped off that jet, Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport, it was like that Norman Rockwell print soldier coming home. Everybody, whoa, here comes Dave. I was the first one to bail, first one to make it on my own. And I stepped off that jet in that uniform, full-dress blues. It tricked many a young man to join the Marine Corps. But tucked up under my arm was something you don't see a lot of Marines caring for. Tucked up under my arm was a big old black Bible. I was proud of the Lord, too. And I came home for one mission in my heart, and that was to get the truth of the gospel to my family. I wanted to see him get saved. i never forget, I shook Dad's hand. You didn't hug Dad. You shook his hand. Gave Mom a hug, sis a hug. i never forget Dad's words to me, like your haircut, son. Because I'd come out of the 70s with that longer stuff, you know. Then as we turned to get my sea bag, family fanned out. They're all looking at me. And I'll never forget my kid brother, Ron. Out of the corner of my eye, he saw that Bible again. And this is what he did. 
Ron was all American, man. Ron was salutatory of his class, never tried. Linebacker football, Ron was, he was an all-American kid academically, everything. And he saw that Bible, and I knew what he was thinking. Dave, you're a freak. I know what he was thinking. But that night following supper, I got the family into the living room. I said, y'all got to, you got to hear this, man. Dad, Mom, you, you, you raised us in church, but we never knew how to get saved. Y'all need to hear this. And I got a big two-foot by three-foot piece of cardboard. Got me black magic marker, red magic marker, and I began to show that the cliffs with the sin in the gap way of We called it the navigator's way back then. The navigators had that. But, you know, man is separated from God with a big gulf of sin between them. Man can't get across to God. Tries to build a good works bridge, couldn't get there. You know, but if he dies, he's going to go to hell in a lake of fire, Revelation 21a, you know. And, but then God did something for us. And where that word sin was, I spelled the word J-E-S-U-S and built a cross. John 14, 6, he's the way, the truth, and the life. I went through the sacrificial lamb, the oldest holiday, Passover, the substitution principle. God will allow an innocent to die for a guilty. And the only innocent one was Jesus. And I took an hour and a half. I just shared the gospel with him. Man, I wrote it all out. You know, if you die, you get over to God by trusting Jesus as Savior. You go to a place called heaven. Hell gets X'd out, you, may not, you know, all that. And when I got done, I'll never forget, I just drew a line down the middle. I said, if you died right now, what side of that cross would you be on? I just left it with them. <laughs> I knew better than to try to leverage them into anything. Yeah, I'm telling you the truth. Man, they dig the heels in. Oh, no, no, I just, it's, I warned them. I wanted them to know the truth, and I began to pray for them. Within a year, my twin brother Doug got saved. He's deacon at her home church in Austin, Texas. My sister Kathy made a profession of faith and started Bible studies up in the public school library. My kid brother Ron got saved. Married an independent Baptist preacher's daughter, Hamilton Acres Baptist Church. Pastor Hamilton's oldest, Hugh Hamilton's oldest daughter married my kid brother Ron. One of the greatest things that ever happened in my ministry, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. A young captain in the army. Saw me when I came in to preach a few years ago. He said, you Dave Summerdorf? Yes, sir. You got a brother named Ron up in Fairbanks? I said, yes, sir. He said, he led me to the Lord. I'd get all over you. Mama got saved within a year and a half. I had the privilege of baptizing her as a young preacher boy when she came up to visit me. And eight years later, under old-fashioned preaching, I watched my dad walk an aisle, take a knee, and watch my best friend direct him how to be saved. To watch my dad get saved. Go back to the farmhouse in Minnesota. The Hutchinson area. We built that whole place by hand. Tearing down barns and putting that house together. Wend your way up to the second story to a bedroom where a twin brother. Two boys raised all their years. You know what you'll find there? Perched on my desk, a two-foot by three-foot piece of cardboard, sitting there. Mom saved it after all these years as a stoner remembrance and a tribute to that moment that our family heard the truth for the very first time. You'll never regret offering him. You just won't. But I guarantee you, you'll regret one day the opportunities that you walked past and didn't care. 
God wants us to be saved. But if you're saved, he wants you to be part of this rescue and recovery operation. Leave the results to God. Not all the stories have that kind of ending. I realize that. But you keep sowing the seed, loving and praying. That one day, their heart turns and says yes. Amen. Don't give up. I prayed for my daddy for eight years, six months before he got saved. I'll never forget, I was praying for him. And the Spirit of God said to me, your daddy's going to get saved. I can't describe that. I cannot describe that moment. But I called mom. I said, mom, I was praying for dad. And God just gave me peace. He's going to save him sometime pretty soon. And mom just began weeping, crying. God's first great desire is salvation. Not just for you and me. But for this entire world. I pray you're saved tonight. And I pray you found a way. To be involved in this rescue and recovery operation. Because God doesn't want them to perish. He wants them to have everlasting life. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.